0: Chapter 19 Torres Straits During the night of the 27th or 28th of December, the Nautilus left the shores of Vanikoro with great speed. Her course was southwesterly, and in three days she had gone over the seven hundred and fifty leagues that separated it from La Perouse's group and the southeast point of Papua. Early on the 1st of January, 1863, Conseil joined me on the platform. "'Master, will you permit me to wish you a happy new year?' "'What, Conseil? "'Exactly as if I was at Paris in my study. "'Well, I accept your good wishes and thank you for them. "'Only I will ask you what you mean by a happy new year, "'under our circumstances. "'Do you mean the year that will bring us to the end of our imprisonment, "'or the year that sees us continue this strange voyage?' "'Really, I do not know how to answer, Master,' We are sure to see curious things, and for the last two months we have not had time for dulness. The last marvel is always the most astonishing, and, if we continue this progression, I do not know how it will end. It is my opinion that we shall never again see the like. I think, then, with no offence to master, that a happy year would be one in which we could see everything.' On 2nd January, we had made 11,340 miles, or 5,250 French leagues, since our starting point in the Japan Seas, before the ship's head stretched the dangerous shores of the Coral Sea on the northeast coast of Australia. Our boat lay along some miles from the redoubtable bank on which Cook's vessel was lost, 10th June 1770 the boat in which Cook was struck on a rock, and, if it did not sink, it was owing to a piece of coral that was broken by the shock and fixed itself in the broken keel. I had wished to visit the reef three hundred and sixty leagues long against which the sea, always rough, broke with great violence, with a noise like thunder. But just then planes drew the Nautilus down to a great depth, and I could see nothing of the high coral walls. I had to content myself with the different specimens of fish brought up by the nets. I remarked, among others, a species of mackerel as large as a tunny with bluish sides and striped with transverse bands that disappear with the animal's life. These fish followed us in shoals and furnished us with very delicate food, we also took a large number of giltheads, about one and a half inches long, tasting like dories, and flying pyrupeds like submarine swallows, which in dark nights lit alternately the air and water with their phosphorescent light. Two days after crossing the Coral Sea, 4th January, we sighted the Papuan coasts. On this occasion Captain Nemo informed me that his intention was to get into the Indian Ocean by the Straits of Taurus, "'His communication ended there. "'The Torres Straits are nearly thirty-four leagues wide, "'but they are obstructed by an innumerable quantity of islands, "'islets, breakers, and rocks, "'that make its navigation almost impracticable, "'so that Captain Nemo took all needful precautions to cross them. "'The Nautilus, floating betwixt wind and water, "'went at a moderate pace. "'Her screw, like a cetacean's tail, "'beat the waves slowly.' Profiting by this, I and my two companions went up on the deserted platform. Before us was the steersman's cage, and I expected that Captain Nemo was there directing the course of the Nautilus. I had before me the excellent charts of the Straits of Taurus, and I consulted them attentively. Round the Nautilus the sea dashed furiously. The course of the waves that went from southeast to northwest at the rate of two and a half miles... "'broke on the coral that showed itself here and there. "'This is a bad sea,' remarked Ned Land. "'Detestable, indeed, and one that does not suit a boat like the Nautilus. "'The captain must be very sure of his route, "'for I see there are pieces of coral that would do for its keel "'if it only touched them slightly. "'Indeed, the situation was dangerous, "'but the Nautilus seemed to slide like magic off these rocks.' It did not follow the routes of the Osterlob and the Zeely exactly, for they proved fatal to Dumont-Durville. It bore more northwards, coasted the islands of Murray, and came back to the southwest, towards Cumberland Passage. I thought it was going to pass by, when, going back to northwest, it went through a large quantity of islands, and islets little known, towards the island sound and canal Mauvais. I wondered if Captain Nemo, foolishly imprudent, would steer his vessel into that pass where Dumont-Durville's two corvettes touched. When swerving again and cutting straight through to the west, he steered for the island of Gilboa. It was then three in the afternoon. The tide began to recede, being quite full. The Nautilus approached the island that I still saw, with its remarkable border of screw pines. "'He stood off it at about two miles distant. "'Suddenly a shock overthrew me. "'The Nautilus just touched a rock "'and stayed immovable, laying lightly to portside. "'When I rose, I perceived Captain Nemo "'and his lieutenant on the platform. "'They were examining the situation of the vessel "'and exchanging words in their incomprehensible dialect. "'She was situated thus.' Two miles on the starboard side appeared Gilboa, stretching from north to west like an immense arm. Towards the south and east some coral showed itself, left by the ebb. We had run aground, and in one of those seas where the tides are middling, a sorry matter for the floating of the Nautilus. However, the vessel had not suffered, for her keel was solidly joined. But if she could neither glide off nor move, she ran the risk of being forever fastened to these rocks, and then Captain Nemo's submarine vessel would be done for. I was reflecting thus, when the Captain, cool and calm, always master of himself, approached me. An accident, I asked. No, an incident. But an incident that will oblige you perhaps to become an inhabitant of this island from which you flee... Captain Nemo looked at me curiously, and made a negative gesture, as much as to say that nothing would force him to set foot on terra firma again. Then he said, "'Besides, Monsieur Aronnax, the Nautilus is not lost. It will carry you yet into the midst of the marvels of the ocean. Our voyage has only begun, and I do not wish to be deprived so soon of the honour of your company.' "'However, Captain Nemo,' I replied, "'without noticing the ironical turn of his phrase, "'the Nautilus ran aground in open sea. "'Now the tides are not strong in the Pacific, "'and if you cannot lighten the Nautilus, "'I do not see how it will be reinflated. "'The tides are not strong in the Pacific. "'You are right there, Professor. "'But in Torres Straits one finds still a difference of a yard and a half.' "'between the level of high and low seas. "'Today is fourth January, "'and in five days the moon will be full. "'Now I shall be very much astonished "'if that satellite does not raise these masses of water sufficiently "'and render me a service that I should be indebted to her for.' "'Having said this, Captain Nemo, followed by his lieutenant, "'redescended to the interior of the Nautilus. "'As to the vessel, it moved not,' and was immovable, as if the polypi had already walled it up with their indestructible cement. "'Well, sir,' said Ned Land, who came up to me after the departure of the captain. "'Well, friend Ned, we will wait patiently for the tide on the ninth instant, for it appears that the moon will have the goodness to put it off again.' "'Really? Really?' "'And this captain is not going to cast anchor at all, "'since the tide will suffice,' said Conseil simply. "'The Canadian looked at Conseil, then shrugged his shoulders. "'Sir, you may believe me when I tell you "'that this piece of iron will navigate neither on nor under the sea again. "'It is only fit to be sold for its weight. "'I think, therefore, that the time has come "'to part company with Captain Nemo.' "'Friend Ned,' I do not despair of this stout Nautilus as you do, and in four days we shall know what to hold on to on the Pacific tides. Besides, flight might be possible if we were in sight of the English or Provencal coast, but on the Papuan shores it is another thing, and it will be time enough to come to that extremity if the Nautilus does not recover itself again, which I look upon as a grave event. "'But do they know, at least, how to act circumspectly? "'There is an island. "'On that island there are trees, under those trees, terrestrial animals, "'bearers of cutlets and roast beef, to which I would willingly give a trial.' "'In this, friend Ned is right,' said Conseil, and I agree with him. "'Could not Master obtain permission from his friend Captain Nemo to put us on land?' "'if only so as not to lose the habit "'of treading on the solid parts of our planet. "'I can ask him, but he will refuse. will master risk it,' asked Conseil, "'and we shall know how to rely upon the captain's amiability. "'To my great surprise, Captain Nemo gave me the permission I asked for, "'and he gave it very agreeably, "'without even exacting from me a promise to return to the vessel.' "'but flight across New Guinea might be very perilous, "'and I should not have counseled Ned Land to attempt it. "'At eight o'clock, armed with guns and hatchets, "'we got off the Nautilus. "'The sea was pretty calm. "'A slight breeze blew on land. Conseil and I rowing, we sped along quickly, "'and Ned steered in the straight passage "'that the breakers left between them. "'The boat was well handled and moved rapidly.' "'Ned Land could not restrain his joy. "'He was like a prisoner that had escaped from prison "'and knew not that it was necessary to re-enter it. "'Meat! We are going to eat some meat. "'And what meat?' he replied. "'Real game. No bread indeed.' "'I do not say that fish is not good. "'We must not abuse it. "'But a piece of fresh venison, grilled on live coals, "'will agreeably vary our ordinary course.' Glutton! said Conseil, he makes my mouth water. It remains to be seen, I said, if these forests are full of game, and if the game is not such as will hunt the hunter himself. Well said, Monsieur Aronnax, replied the Canadian, whose teeth seemed sharpened like the edge of a hatchet, but I will eat tiger, loin of tiger, if there is no other quadruped on this island. Fred Ned is uneasy about it, said Conseil. "'Whatever it may be,' continued Ned Land, "'every animal with four paws without feathers, "'or with two paws without feathers, "'will be saluted by my first shot.' "'Very well.' "'Never fear, Monsieur Aronnax," replied the Canadian. "'I do not want twenty-five minutes to offer you a dish of my sort.' "'At half-past eight, the Nautilus boat ran softly aground on a heavy sand.' after having happily passed the coral reef that surrounds the island of Gilboa. Chapter 20 A Few Days on Land I was much impressed on touching land. Ned Land tried the soil with his feet, as if to take possession of it. However, it was only two months before that we had become, according to Captain Nemo, passengers on board the Nautilus. But in reality... "'prisoners of its commander. "'In a few minutes we were within musket-shot of the coast. "'The whole horizon was hidden behind a beautiful curtain of forests. "'Enormous trees, the trunks of which attained a height of two hundred feet, "'were tied to each other by garlands of bindweed, "'real natural hammocks, which a light breeze rocked. "'There were mimosas, figs, hibiscus, and palm trees, "'mingled together in profusion,' and under the shelter of their verdant vault grew orchids, plants, and ferns. But without noticing all these beautiful specimens of Papuan flora, the Canadian abandoned the agreeable for the useful. He discovered a cocoa tree, beat down some of the fruit, broke them, and we drunk the milk and ate the nut with a satisfaction that protested against the ordinary food on the Nautilus. "'Excellent,' said Ned Land. "'Exquisite,' replied Conseil. "'And I do not think,' said the Canadian, "'that he would object to our introducing a cargo of coconuts on board.' "'I do not think he would, but he would not taste them.' "'So much the worse for him,' said Conseil. "'And so much the better for us,' replied Ned Land. "'There will be more for us.' "'One word only, Master Land,' I said to the harpooner, "'who was beginning to ravage another coconut tree.' Coconuts are good things, but before filling the canoe with them, it would be wise to see if the island does not produce some substance not less useful. Fresh vegetables would be welcome on board the Nautilus. Master is right, replied Conseil, and I propose to reserve three places in our vessel one for fruits, the other for vegetables, and the third for the venison, of which I have not yet seen the smallest specimen. Conseil, we must not despair, said the Canadian. Let us continue, I returned, and lie in wait. Although the island seems uninhabited, it might still contain some individuals though be less hard than we on the nature of game. Ho, ho, said Ned Land, moving his jaws significantly. Well, Ned, said Conseil, my word, returned the Canadian, I begin to understand the charms of anthropophagy. "'Ned! Ned! What are you saying? You, a man-eater! I should not feel safe with you, especially as I share your cabin. I might perhaps wake one day to find myself half-devoured.' "'Friend Conseil, I like you much, but not enough to eat you unnecessarily.' "'I would not trust you,' replied Conseil. "'but enough. We must absolutely bring down some game to satisfy this cannibal.' or else one of these fine mornings master will find only pieces of his servant to serve him. While we were talking thus, we were penetrating the somber arches of the forest, and for two hours we surveyed it in all directions. Chance rewarded our search for eatable vegetables, and one of the most useful products of the tropical zones furnished us with precious food that we missed on board. I would speak of the breadfruit tree "'very abundant in the island of Gilboa. "'Ned Land knew these fruits well. "'He had already eaten many during his numerous voyages, "'and he knew how to prepare the eatable substance. "'Moreover, the sight of them excited him, "'and he could contain himself no longer. "'Master,' he said, "'I shall die if I do not taste a little of this bread-fruit pie. "'Taste it, friend Ned. Taste it as you want. "'We are here to make experiments. Make them.' "It won't take long," said the Canadian. And, provided with a lentil, he lighted a fire of deadwood that crackled joyously. During this time, Conseil and I chose the best fruits of the breadfruit. Some had not then attained a sufficient degree of maturity, and their thick skin covered a white but rather fibrous pulp. Others waited only to be picked. These fruits enclosed no kernel. Conseil brought a dozen to Ned Land, who placed them on a coal-fire, after having cut them in thick slices, and while doing this, repeating, You will see, master, how good this bread is. More so, when one has been deprived of it so long. It is not even bread, added he, but a delicate pastry. You have eaten none, master. No, Ned. Very well, prepare yourself for a juicy thing. If you do not come for more... "'I'm no longer the king of harpooners.' "'After some minutes, the parts of the fruits "'that was exposed to the fire was completely roasted. "'The interior looked like a white pasty, "'a sort of soft crumb, "'the flavor of which was like that of an artichoke. "'It must be confessed this bread was excellent, "'and I ate of it with great relish.' "'What time is it now?' asked the Canadian.' Two o'clock at least, replied Conseil. How time flies on firm ground, sighed Ned Land. Let us be off, replied Conseil. We returned through the forest and completed our collection by a raid upon the cabbage palms that we gathered from the tops of the trees and yams of a superior quality. We were loaded when we reached the boat, but Ned Land did not find his provisions sufficient. "'Fate, however, favoured us. "'Just as we were pushing off, he perceived several trees, "'from twenty-five to thirty feet high, a species of palm tree. "'At last, at five o'clock in the evening, loaded with our riches, "'we quitted the shore, and half an hour after we hailed the Nautilus. "'No one appeared on our arrival. "'The enormous iron-plated cylinder seemed deserted. "'The provisions embarked, I descended to my chamber,' And after supper, slept soundly. The next day, sixth January, nothing new on board. Not a sound inside, not a sign of life. The boat rested along the edge, in the same place in which we had left it. We resolved to return to the island. Ned Land hoped to be more fortunate than on the day before with regard to the hunt, and wished to visit another part of the forest. At dawn we set off. The boat, carried on by the waves that flowed to shore, reached the island in a few minutes. We landed, and thinking that it was better to give in to the Canadian, we followed Ned Land, whose long limbs threatened to distance us. He wound up the coast towards the west. Then, fording some torrents, he gained the high plain that was bordered with admirable forests. Some kingfishers were rambling along the watercourses, but they would not let themselves be approached. Their circumspection proved to me that these birds knew what to expect from bipeds of our species, and I concluded that, if the island was not inhabited, at least human beings occasionally frequented it. After crossing a rather large prairie, we arrived at the skirts of a little wood that was enlivened by the songs and flight of a large number of birds. "'There are only birds,' said Conseil. "'but they are eatable,' replied the harpooner. "'I do not agree with you, friend Ned, "'for I see only parrots there.' "'Friend Conseil," said Ned gravely, "'the parrot is like pheasant to those who have nothing else.' "'And,' I added, "'this bird suitably prepared is worth knife and fork.' "'Indeed, under the thick foliage of this wood, "'a world of parrots were flying from branch to branch,' only needing a careful education to speak the human language. From the moment they were chattering with parrots of all colors and grave cockatoos who seemed to meditate upon some philosophical problem, while brilliant red lorries pass like a piece of bunting carried away by the breeze, Papuans with the finest azure colors and in all a variety of winged things most charming to behold, but few eatable. However... A bird peculiar to these lands, and which has never passed the limits of the Arrow and Papuan Islands, was wanting in this collection. But fortune reserved it for me before long. After passing through a moderately thick copse, we found a plain, obstructed with bushes. I saw then those magnificent birds, the disposition of whose long feathers obliges them to fly against the wind. Their undulating flight, graceful aerial curves, and the shading of their colors attracted and charmed one's looks. "'I had no trouble in recognizing them. "'Birds of Paradise!' I exclaimed. "'The Malays, who carry on a great trade in these birds with the Chinese, "'have several means that we could not employ for taking them. "'Sometimes they put snares on the top of high trees "'that the birds of Paradise prefer to frequent.' Sometimes they catch them with a viscous birdlime that paralyzes their movements. They even go so far as to poison the fountains that the birds generally drink from. But we were obliged to fire at them during flight, which gave us few chances to bring them down, and indeed we vainly exhausted one-half our ammunition. About eleven o'clock in the morning, the first range of mountains that formed the center of the island was traversed, and we had killed nothing. Hunger drove us on. The hunters had relied on the products of the chase, and they were wrong. Happily, Conseil, to his great surprise, made a double shot and secured breakfast. He brought down a white pigeon and a wood pigeon, which, cleverly plucked and suspended from a skewer, was roasted before a red fire of dead wood. While these interesting birds were cooking, Ned prepared the fruit of the bread-tree, then the wood-pigeons were devoured to the bones, and declared excellent. The nutmeg, with which they are in the habit of stuffing their crops, flavors their flesh, and renders it delicious eating. Now, Ned, what do you miss now? Some four-footed game, Monsieur Aronnax. All these pigeons are only side dishes and trifles, and until I have killed an animal with cutlets, I shall not be content." "'Nor I, Ned, if I do not catch a bird of paradise.' "'Let us continue hunting,' replied Conseil. "'Let us go towards the sea. "'We have arrived at the first declivities of the mountains, "'and I think we had better regain the region of forests.' "'That was sensible advice and was followed out. "'After walking for one hour, "'we had attained a forest of sago trees. "'Some inoffensive serpents glided away from us.' The birds of paradise fled at our approach, and truly I despaired of getting near one when Conseil, who was walking in front, suddenly bent down, uttered a triumphal cry, and came back to me, bringing a magnificent specimen. "'Ah! Bravo, Conseil! Master is very good. "'No, my boy, you have made an excellent stroke. "'Take one of these living birds and carry it in your hand.' If Master will examine it, he will see that I have not deserved great merit. Why, Conseil? Because this bird is as drunk as a quail. Drunk? Yes, sir, drunk with the nutmegs that it devoured under the nutmeg tree, under which I found it. See, friend Ned, see the monstrous effects of intemperance. By Jove! exclaimed the Canadian. Because I have drunk gin for two months... You must needs reproach me. However, I examined the curious bird. Conseil was right. The bird, drunk with the juice, was quite powerless. It could not fly. It could hardly walk. This bird belonged to the most beautiful of the eight species that are found in Papua and in the neighboring islands. It was the large emerald bird, the most rare kind. It measured three feet in length. Its head was comparatively small, its eyes placed near the opening of the beak, and also small. But the shades of color were beautiful, having a yellow beak, brown feet and claws, nut-colored wings with purple tips, pale yellow at the back of the neck and head, and emerald color at the throat, chestnut on the breast and belly. Two-horned downy nets rose from below the tail, that prolonged the long light feathers of admirable fineness, and they completed the whole of this marvellous bird that the natives have poetically named the Bird of the Sun. But if my wishes were satisfied by the possession of the Bird of Paradise, the Canadians were not yet. Happily, about two o'clock, Ned Land brought down a magnificent hog, The animal came in time for us to procure real quadruped meat, and he was well received. Ned Land was very proud of his shot. The hog, hit by the electric ball, fell stone dead. The Canadian skinned and cleaned it properly, after having taken half a dozen cutlets, destined to furnish us with a grilled repast in the evening. Then the hunt was resumed, which was still more marked by Ned and Conseil's exploits. "'Indeed, the two friends beating the bushes roused a herd of kangaroos "'that fled and bounded along on their elastic paws. "'But these animals did not take to flight so rapidly "'but what the electric capsule could stop their course. "'Ah, Professor!' cried Ned Land, "'who was carried away by the delights of the chase. "'What excellent game! And stewed, too! "'What a supply for the Nautilus! Two, three, five down!' and to think that we shall eat that flesh, and that the idiots on board shall not have a crumb. I think that, in the excess of his joy, the Canadian, if he had not talked so much, would have killed them all. But he contented himself with a single dozen of these interesting marsupians. These animals were small. They were a species of those kangaroo rabbits that live habitually in the hollows of trees, and whose speed is extreme, but they are moderately fat, and furnish at least estimable food. We were very satisfied with the results of the hunt. Happy Ned proposed to return to this enchanting island the next day, for he wished to depopulate it of all the eatable quadrupeds, but he had reckoned without his host. At six o'clock in the evening we had regained the shore. Our boat was moored to the usual place. The Nautilus, like a long rock, emerged from the waves two miles from the beach. Ned Land, without waiting, occupied himself about the important dinner business. He understood all about cooking well. The hog, grilled on the coals, soon scented the air with a delicious odor. Indeed, the dinner was excellent. Two wood pigeons completed this extraordinary menu— "'the sago pasty, the bread, some mangoes, half a dozen pineapples, "'and the liquor fermented from some coconuts, overjoyed us. "'I even think that my worthy companion's ideas "'had not all the plainness desirable. "'Suppose we do not return to the Nautilus this evening,' said Conseil. "'Suppose we never return,' added Ned Land. "'Just then a stone fell at our feet "'and cut short the harpooner's proposition.'